Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. My guest today is from the Le Ragnaia Winery in Montalcino, and his name is... Riccardo Campinotti. Thanks, Riccardo. How did you end up in Montalcino, and when did you get there? So, I ended up in Montalcino in 2002. Uh, uh, I am from Siena originally, so about half an hour away, and uh, I've always been into wine. I've been a professional wine, so when I started looking to go on my own, I... You know, uh, a few areas that I, that I looked at were around home. So obviously Chianti and uh, Montalcino. Montalcino for us was obviously a dream because it was the most prestigious and legendary for us in the area. And, you know, for I guess for a lot of people in Italy. So it came natural to start looking up here and uh, I found good situation for me. And here I am. Now it's been almost 20 years. So um, you actually ended up buying uh, vineyards and a winery. Was it called a Musico? Yeah, the Musico actually it was always called Le Ragnaie. Musico was the name of uh, like the old trade name, uh, and it was the nickname of the old owner. So that's why he uh, he called the winery. He called the wine actually Musico, and and now there is another winery called Musico that run by one of his kids. Steve. Yeah, he was uh, Guido Martini. Just uh, that, that was his name. Yeah, the guy that you bought the uh, the farm from. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Martini family, correct. So, um, so when you bought it, what 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 was there in terms of crops? Was it just vineyards, or were there other crops as well, like fruit or grain? It was, you know, first of all, it was pretty run down, but it was mostly vineyards, a little, you know, around three hectares of vines, and then some olives. That's it. And whereabouts is the is the winery based? The winery is in the highest point of Montalcino. We are in an area called Lume Spento, which is uh, the highest uh, place on the Ola population and uh, facing southwest. It's near, quite near the village. We're about three minutes by car from, uh, from Montalcino. So it's in the central, more historic kind of area, uh, but it's facing towards southwest. So it's a cool, it's a cool area, but with warm afternoons. Correct. We, there is a big difference in, uh, in temperature between night and day, so that's very good. So you got that vineyard, the sort of the, the let's call that the home vineyard, if you like, and then you've also been um, rather cleverly buying up other little parcels of vineyards around Montalcino. And um, I think it'd be great if we if we could go through some of those uh, single vineyard sites because um, Montalcino is a very complicated place, even though it's only made Brunello is only made from a single variety. But if we can get a little bit of detail about the terroir. That'd be great. So we the original vineyards were here in the highest point, and also one vineyard called Petroso, which is next to the village of Montalcino. Uh, so that one is about 450 meters, and uh, is, uh, is is about 100 meters away from the village. So also also that is uh, one of the historic parts for uh, vine growing. Uh, then in 2000, at the end of 2005, I bought two small vineyards in. Um, Castelnuovo dell'Abate, one in the lower part of Castelnuovo called Cava, and one in the highest point next to Mastroianni. So what was the difference in soil types between those two? Because they're quite different terroirs, aren't they? Uh, between the, which ones? The one in Castelnuovo between uh, each other? Yeah, the Castelnuovo, yeah. So the one at the very top of the 400 meters, there, uh, 
the site used to be a lake bed. So that, that uh, terroir there is um, kind of like round, uh, round stones, kind of like river deposit, lake deposit. Uh, and then also not much clay. The one uh, in the cava, which is right next to the old uh, quarry for onyx. Yeah. Onyx. Uh, yes. Uh, there's a good bit of clay, like gray clay, but also there is a bit of uh, of sandstone. It's a very complex terroir. It's really it's really nice, e- even though it's a little bit warmer over there because it's uh, it's in the lower part. Uh, whereas in Montalc- in uh, Le Ragnaie, we mainly have sandstone and limestone. This is of uh, sea origin. Okay, what about um, Vigna Cappuccini? Yeah, Cappuccini is here next to Vigna Vecchia in, uh, in Le Ragnaie. So it's, it's part of the original, original vineyards. Then over the years, we also planted some, like you said, we, we acquired a little bit here and there, small vineyards. And then we planted some more here in Le Ragnaie as well. So after one that I purchased in Castelnuovo, in three different Two different times, I bought another one in Castelnuovo uh, in 2008, also small. And uh, so these were all bought from uh, from older guys that were kind of always, you know, farming grapes and then selling them to the uh, co-op. And then uh, they just wanted to retire. So I got these three small vineyards from them. And then I bought another one in 2014 in Montosoli. So I bought uh, and another vineyard in the Montosoli area, right? One is right next to Barici, to their cellar, and the other is uh, on the other side of the hill in uh, near the Cantina Sociale. Okay, so Montosoli is kind of one of the holy grail terroirs of Montalcino. Barici, as Ricardo mentioned, is a very um, respected family, old family in Montalcino, who are very much linked with the Montosoli terroir so really sort of classic um classic wines um in in terms of the montosity there are there are a little some variations in the in the soil types um which uh, bit are you on on montosity so i am uh, right next uh, to you know as you pass the cellar of of, uh, of the barici family it's it's on the right hand side so it's in the lower part of the hill so it is it is a little bit more uh, it's it's in the lower part of Montosoli. This is why I, call, I come out with the label Casanovina Montosoli. It is a blend of, uh, you know, also here you have you have limestone and you have clay. On the lower side of our vineyards, it will be more clay. And, and then on the higher part, it's more rocky. So we are around 300 meter elevation. Do you work those vineyards slightly differently in terms of either pruning or cover cropping? Well, so all the... You know, it's never a, a recipe for all the vineyards. So it's everything is really different. So in uh, Le Ragnaie and Petroso, I, I don't plow. I keep the grass, uh, you know, uh, I used to do cover crops, but then since 2008, I, I just keep the, the whatever wild grass we have. That I just um, mulch, mulch the grass. Uh, in the, all the other vineyards, I do cover crops over the winter, in the fall and the winter, and then I mulch them and, and plow them in, in uh, around April, May. What do you what do you sow as, sorry, Ricardo, what do you sow as a cover crop over winter then? Uh, it depends on the uh, where, because if there is more clay, I tend to give something that can add a little bit more nitrogen to the soil because the soil needs a bit more uh, push, uh, so more uh, fava beans. Also clover, also clover. Uh, and then in the area, for instance, in the high part of Castelnuovo, there is a vineyard that is already have good vigor. 
uh, that we don't really need to add too much nitrogen. Over there, I put stuff that is more good for uh, for water uh, water drainage and uh, soil soil complexity. So clover, and I use uh, mustard. Mustard, yeah, something that has a, a longer uh, root that can export soil more. Uh, so it, also the cover crops change from uh, from area to area. Uh, but then uh, here in the in all the other vineyards that are kind of in the warmer side, I I plow, uh, so I don't I don't I don't keep it uh, unplowed because essentially it's too warm and too dry. Uh, so the idea in the future is to go at least on alternate rows to keep uh, to keep cover crop permanently. But you know it, it's it's tricky, especially now that it's so hot every year. Uh, you have to be you have to be careful. So. But I'm very happy with what we do, at least in the high elevation sites where we don't we don't plow at all. Is it nice the fact that I know you know you've got an incredible range of different vineyards? Is it nice for you to to be able to work those vineyards and to give each different vineyard a slightly different way of you know cover cropping or maybe pruning, soil management, shoot positioning, that kind of thing? Does that make the work more interesting? It makes it more interesting because all the sites are different and they react differently. But it's also, I think, it's also necessary because you cannot do a 621 meters, which is our highest vineyard. You cannot do the same that you do at 200 meters with a completely different soil. I mean, you have to adapt to to the different areas. Obviously, in uh, in uh, the more in the warmer and more vigorous places, we tend to keep more higher yields even because we don't want to have an imbalance in the wine and instead in uh, in the highest elevation where ripening is a little bit more tricky in certain vintages we do lower yields and a little bit more uh, you know green harvesting and, and drop some fruit uh, if you if you do the same uh, in Castelnuovo for instance you would have in my opinion and, and my experience too you would have too much concentration which is something that, that I don't really want so that's a classic question. You, if any of you are going to do your Master of Wine exam, you've got a classic question about are high yields always negative? And this is a great example of where higher yields are very, very sensible and won't hurt the plant, won't damage the vineyard, and certainly won't damage the wine in terms of its balance, in terms of sugar and its acid strength, its pH and things like that. So, so that's very sensible um, farming. I mean, you clearly enjoy, you love what you do, um, the variety of, you're like a chef, you know, you've got all these different uh, ingredients that you can work with. Um, it must be very stimulating, not just for you, but also for your workers. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to, to have all these, uh, I mean, for the workers, sometimes it's probably a little bit uh, a pain because, you know, we have a lot to travel a lot, you know, also with the tractors, it's just a long way sometimes. From here, from the from the winery to the farther away vineyards, but it's definitely stimulating because you get you get different different sites and and really the, you get different results. And I think everybody's enjoying seeing also the, the final result really uh, when when it's in the bottle because the different the difference is quite uh, remarkable, especially between certain vineyards. And, and the idea is to. Uh, obviously you made the chef comparison you know uh, my favorite food is the one that is less uh, touched you know so simple so I try to do the same in the in the cellar so uh, keep it simple and uh, have wines there uh, respect I know is very cliche everybody says it nowadays but you know respect the terroir and respect 
where the grapes come from. Do your do your workers enjoy? I know you talked about logistics um, and getting around with the tractor, but do they do they like the fact that they can walk into vineyards that often have, you know, other plants in them, plants other than vines, you know, with the cover crops and and that kind of thing? Do they do they ever remark about that to you, or do they just not 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 interested? No, I to be honest, I know that it's that for them is more boring when they go in the in the vineyards that have less biodiversity for sure, where we have maybe uh, neighbors who also have vines, you know, uh, for instance, here at Leragnaie, we are completely surrounded by forest, we have, uh, we have a lake, we have, you know, some animals, you know, so here is a little bit more uh, natural, you know, uh, whereas in, uh, in Castelnuovo, for instance, it's just vine after vine after vine, and, and it's like working in, in, in the fields of uh, cotton, in a way, you know, you don't see the end of, of vines, uh, it can, it can be boring to the eye, which is you know also important, absolutely. So when I like when I, I can't remember when I last saw you, but I've got a little note here from one of our conversations saying you described your winemaking style as traditional. But when we started the first two vintages, we were a little bit more modern uh, because I knew less, and it was kind of the trend at the time. So you you're happy with the change that you made? Be- very much, very much. I you know realized that I didn't like the wines that I was making in the beginning. That's, uh, it wasn't even like a commercial. Actually, that was the kind of uh, wine that people wanted back then, but I, I, I wasn't enjoying, you know, the results. And uh, so I, and then I realized that all the wines that I liked more were made in a more pure and uh, balanced way. And so that's, that's what I started looking for. Yeah, it's nice to hear someone speak so candidly about that kind of thing, because it's, you know, um, sometimes producers get very nervous speaking to journalists about you know what they're trying to do. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else that we we can we can talk about that you'd like to tell us? Anything that any news? So in the email you wanted to talk about some uh, how work is going during COVID or uh... yeah, I mean, um, okay, so um, Montalcino hasn't been hasn't been too badly affected by COVID in terms of numbers of people that have had it. Uh, COVID. In terms of the commercial side, how have things panned out? In terms of, of uh, wine sales, uh, we have not been affected almost at all. Uh, probably the reason being also that we are out with two great vintages right now, which is 15 and 16. So that might be helpful. But, you know, from what I've noticed, from, you know, our customers, maybe they had to change a little bit from restaurants being closed. They they move on to retail a little bit more, but you know the wines are selling really well, and, and we're really happy. Uh, we also have an agriturismo that's being very affected. To be honest, uh, there's no tourists around, there's nobody around. It's kind of a ghost town right now. Uh, so we're looking forward to having this thing over, you know, for a number of reasons, but also so that people can come back to Montalcino and visit the wineries and and so on. Tell us about your. Um... Your, your VV bottling, the Brunello uh, VV, which is the uh, Vigna Vecchia. Give us a bit of detail. Did you have, do you know the history of that vineyard and how old is the vineyard now? Yeah, planted at the end of the 1960s, of the 1960s from the former owners and it's the, the original uh, vineyard of the, of the farm. So uh, it's a very special vineyard. It's uh, overlooking towards west, southwest and it's a 600 meter. When it was planted back in those days, high elevation was not really seen as the best because maybe the weather was different and uh, also 
you know, in order to do very well here, you had to be a little bit lower on yields, as we said. So maybe that wasn't very easy back then. People wanted high yields. Uh, and uh, but now, you know, uh, I was testing earlier this morning, I was testing the 17s, which is a, was really hot and dry vintage. And yeah, from up here, just reacted in a, in a great way. And the wines are fresh and they're vibrant and uh, really happy. So th- this is one of the oldest and highest vineyards in Montalcino. If I've got my notes correctly, it's planted in 1968. I, I'm a 67 chap myself. That's when I was born. And it's one of the highest, or if not the highest vineyard in, um, in Montalcino. So if anybody's going to be making the best wine in, um, in those kind of hot conditions in, in Montalcino, it's going to be you. Yes, we are definitely have an edge on warm vintages. I mean, it's, uh, it, you can't say anything different. I mean, we're in the highest place and uh, we have uh, more thermal difference uh, between night and day and uh, it's, it's cooler in general. So definitely we're, we're very lucky in those kind of vintages. Uh, and also in the cooler vintages, you just have to be careful like with your vineyard management and the yields, but you still, you still have great, great fruit also in the cooler vintages. Yeah, because they're old, aren't they? They know they know what they're doing. Correct. The vines are fantastic. Okay, so um, yesterday I won fifteen million uh, euros on the lottery, uh, and and I and I and I want some advice, and I give you a call, and I say, listen, I want to buy some vineyards in Montalcino. I want vineyards in three different areas. Where would they be? Where would you advise me to plant? Uh, okay, so. Something in the highest, in the highest areas. So either around the village or here around us, uh, and then I would say Sesta and Santa Restituta. Oh, really? Okay. So Sesta is in um, the far south of uh, Montalcino. It's quite a, that's quite a hot area, but it's got um, makes some of the best wines in the in Montalcino. What what do you like about Sesta then? Not really in the far south. It's a, it's a, it's in Sant'Angelo in Colle. You know, before Sant'Angelo and Colle, so it it's in the south, so obviously it's warmer, but it's uh, up high enough, so it's it's cool enough. Uh, so I think it's a good balance. Uh, it's 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 a beautiful terroir. It's a good balance between uh, the warmer sa- side of the southern areas and also the central side. And then uh, you know Santa Restituta because they just make great wines down there. Okay, did you tell us about Santa Restituta? Where is it? Santa Restituta is right below us, about a couple of hundred meters lower in elevation, maybe maybe 250, something like that. And, uh, well, you know, it's where great wineries like Soldera and Fattoi, you know, the Santa Restituta now, Gaia, Caprini. So everybody down there seems to make great wine. So obviously the terroir has to do something with it. It can't be that bad. And um, final question, you've won the lottery, you can buy anything you want for the winery, what would you buy that you don't have? Oh, from the wine, for the winery? Yeah, is there anything you need? Anything, that, any new technology that you think is, is going to be useful in the future? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I would buy a bottling machine. Okay. Uh, I bottle with a, with a, I rent a bottling machine and uh, so it's time to buy it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Alrighty. Is there anything else you want? Any anything else? Any news? Anything that you want to tell us that we didn't cover? Did I miss any vineyards? No, I think we're all good. So I want to say thanks to my guest Riccardo Campinotti of Le Ragnaia Vineyard in Montalcino, um, one of the most interesting wineries for me in the region because of its 
patchwork of single vineyards. And also Ricardo, um, I think, makes fantastic wine. He, uh, he does it the right way. And the wines really do show the, the differences between the individual sites that he has. And the, people often talk about wines that are crafted, well-crafted. This is a perfect example of that. Um, and you can't make wines like he makes unless you're on top of all the little details. And, um, and what's nice is you do it with a smile on your face as well. So thanks a lot, Ricardo. I really appreciate your time. And uh, always good to talk to you. Um, take care. And I hopefully we look forward to, to brighter times. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.